years. He's been an instructor for other men in their preaching, and um, I love his theology. At a time when it's hard to find a good pastor and many churches are looking, I thank God that he has him here for you and for your upbuilding, and his wonderful wife, too, with also with gifts of the word for teaching women. Uh, and also, uh, you forgot to mention, we brought not just my two daughters, but what they call my granddaughters, their dolls. So we want to acknowledge that as well. And they're sitting prom- uh, properly looking up here at the pulpit. Well, we, we want to look at uh, prayer from the book of Philippians this morning. And I will read actually from verses 3 down through 11, but my primary text will be verses 9 through 11. So would you turn there with me? This is God's word through the Apostle Paul uh, from a prison to the believers in the city of Philippi in the first century. Beginning in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Quick prayer together. Please pray with me. Our Father, as we now look at your scriptures and focus on um, this part of your holy word, we ask that you will do your work in each of us. We ask that as we see this, we will see you. We will comprehend your greatness. We will understand your power and something of your holiness and how you work among your people through the prayers of your people. We ask that you will um, comfort us. We ask that you will encourage us. We ask that you will spur us on and bring us in any way out of darkness into light. According to your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well... Uh, in the uh, last, uh, well, two centuries ago, in, in the year 1888, one of the richest man, men in this country, in the history of the United States, John D. Rockefeller, was visiting England. And at that time, when people went to visit London, when they went to visit England, people would ask two questions. Did you get to see the Queen, and did you get to hear Spurgeon? I'm sure, with my friend, uh, Pastor Bissett, you've heard many things about Charles Spurgeon. John Rockefeller went there and he got to visit in the home of Charles Spurgeon for about two hours one day that year. And he went and he visited in his home and he spoke with him and he asked him questions and they dialogued. And then he came back to the States and they said, um, they said, what was it like to meet Charles Spurgeon? What was it like 
sitting with him and speaking with him, and he said, well, I think I learned something. I think I learned um, about the power behind the effectiveness of his ministry. Now that is saying something. Till this day, no one has published more sermons or literature in the Christian world than are published by the preaching and writings of Charles Spurgeon. It's an amazing thing. Well, Rockefeller said, I think that the power of the fruitfulness behind the ministry of Charles Spurgeon is this, that Charles Spurgeon is truly a man of prayer, and the people of his church are people of prayer. I had a similar uh, example of this in my life in uh, the years shortly after my time at Penn State University, I was with some other people and I was working in a ministry called The Navigators. And we would get together with staff from other areas in, in New England. And when we were at these, one of these get-togethers, a friend of mine who was at a, a campus in the Boston area, he came up to me and he said, what's the deal with Penn State ministry? He said, uh, it seems to be so fruitful. And it was at that time. That was sort of a golden time for that ministry. There were people that were coming to Christ all the time. It was an amazing time. People were being discipled. We were loving each other. And the group of us was known on campus, campus of thousands of people, but about three or 400 believers gathered together were sort of standing out. There was kind of a shining presence there at that time. So my friend uh, from the Boston area, he said, Ben, what, was the, what is the deal? What is the secret? What are you guys doing at... Penn State with the Navigators that's different because we would show up at these conferences. In fact, one was near us here in uh, Albany area. And he said, what, what's different? We would show up with hundreds of students and he would show up with a few dozen. And he said, what is it? What's the deal? And I said, I thought about it. I said, well, I, I mean, I'm not sure 100%. Maybe this is just what God's doing. But I can say this. We spend a lot of time in prayer. We pray in our small groups. We pray with the staff. We start every meeting with prayer. We intentionally make prayer the foundation of what we're doing. And he looked at me and he said, he goes, eh, nah. And I said, what? How can you say that? How can you just blow that off? Um, he shook his head. He wasn't accepting of the answer. And, I, and he said, nah. He thought it was too simple. Um, he thought that prayer can't be all there is in the heart of a thriving ministry. But I want to tell you today that prayer is absolutely necessary for a healthy ministry, for a growing church, for us, no matter where God has us, to be fruitful. It's his power working in us. Charles Spurgeon said something of this. He said, prayer moves the arm that mo prayer moves God's arm, which moves the world. I messed that up a little. I'll quote it better later. Um, a God-glorifying local church should be healthy. We want that at Windsor. I want that for you here at Clifton Park Community Church. A church should be known for proclaiming Christ. It should be unified. It should be accomplishing the work of the gospel. And it should be known for joy. It should be unified in the truth. And all of these things we find in this letter. But I want you to note this well. A prayer is the behind-the-scenes work that must happen 
Prayer is the behind-the-scenes work which is absolutely necessary if a church is to have joy and unity and fruitfulness, to be doing the work of the gospel with joy. My question to you is this morning is this. Do you believe this? As a church, as a fellowship, we are people that have come to know Christ. And I don't presume that everyone here is in Christ, but I believe that probably the majority of us are. We have been set apart from this world to represent his kingdom. And we gather together weekly on the Lord's day. And we live our days day by day for him, living for his kingdom, living for the day that is to come. So we are different in this world. We are set apart. We need God's power to do this well. We need to have his help. My question to you is this. Do you believe this? Do you believe that prayer matters? Do you believe that corporately, as a fellowship, we can be stronger when we pray? That we will be stronger when we pray? Here's the quote. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world. That's Charles Spurgeon. And he got it from a poem by a guy named Wallace. Do you believe this? You might not start your day without a cup of coffee or without a shower. Thank God. Um, would you go about anything in the work of God? Would you take on any endeavor for the Lord without prayer? I think that sometimes people do. And I think that what God does is he sort of holds back a little without his power working on it and says, okay, you know, you want to do this without me? See how it works out for you. Go ahead. Do you believe that prayer is necessary for Clifton Park Community Church as a fellowship representing his kingdom here for his glory? And do you believe Jesus when he says in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing? That's a question. Well, in this passage in Philippians chapter 1, we will look at um, verses 9 through 11, what the Apostle Paul is praying for, he's confident that it will happen. That's a pretty amazing thing. Now, brothers and sisters, our faith is not always as strong all the time. Our faith can be strong at certain points, and then sometimes it can falter. Listen to the confidence that he has in his prayers and in what God will do in the lives of this little church in Philippi. Early on in verses 3 through 5, he says, and let's just look at verse 6. He says, I'm confident about something. I'm praying for you all the time. But then he says, I'm confident about something. I'm confident about this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God began something in every believer. And God is the one that will make it happen. He will bring about the change in our lives. He will make us fit for that kingdom that is coming, that we will see with our waking eyes. And then in verses 9 through 11, he tells them specifically how he's praying for them. In this passage, he's praying with joy, and here he tells them specifically how he is praying for them, and it is this. It is for an overflowing love. That's the heart of it. Okay, A love that overflows. And it is... To be marked by these three aspects as it is overflowing. 
It is a love that is knowing, it is growing, and it is showing. For an overflowing love that is knowing, growing, and showing. First, understand the heart of this prayer. It is for an overflowing love. The idea here is that, he says, that your love may abound. Abound, what does that mean? Abound is when you take uh, something and it is so full, but it keeps being filled that it, that it overreaches uh, the bounds of it. So a bathtub with the, with the stopper in and the water keeps running, what happens? It overflows. That's what he's talking about here. He says, Christian church in Philippi, just like Christian church here, or community church in Clifton Park, is to overflow with something. When then something is love. It's to overflow in love. And what is love? A, a good definition of love comes from Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas said that love is doing what is the best good for another. Love is not always pleasant. I believe that when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, he was loving them. When he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he was loving him. Why? Because he was doing what was his best good. He was drawing him out and away from something that was wrong and bad. He was being um, influenced by an evil being. It is love that must grow and abound. The word in the scriptures that is most commonly used for this kind of Christian love is agape. This is a love that comes from experiencing God's love, and it shows itself in loving other people, especially other believers. In 1 John 4.19, it says that we love this agape because he first loved us. And the idea is that we have come to know God's love, and it so changes us that when we go out into the world, we're like, we're like glowworms. Do you know what a glowworm is? Glowworms were, were toys. They're like plastic things. And these are the same material that you can stick on the ceilings of children's bedrooms with the stars on the ceilings. What happens is they absorb that light. And then when you take them into a dark place, they actually glow. They emanate with that light. Christians love because we have been loved by God. It comes to us and then it comes from us into this world. You, brother and sister, made in God's image, are made to be changed by his glory to represent him in this world. You are made in his image, and the more you come to know Christ, the more you become like him, you become a person that is marked by love. And when you're in this world, that is different. So Paul here prays first for an overflowing love. This is genuine proof. This is sure proof that a person really knows God. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, whoever loves has been born of God. And knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. I read a book over the Christmas break by Greg Beale. And it's called We Become What We Worship. And the idea with this book is throughout the whole of scripture you can see that people are worshipers. And you can see that if you go over to New York City, you go to the Met. Look at all of the history of the world and you see people worship everywhere in every place throughout history. The point of Beale is this. Everyone is worshiping something. You are either worshiping the one true God or you are worshiping some form of idols. And in that process of worshiping, you become like what you worship. If you become like God in worshiping him, you become alive. You become a true image bearer. You rightly represent him in who you are. 
You are like God, alive, loving, true. If you worship idols, you become like them. And the way that we hear this in the prophets is this, and this is a warning to us. What happened with God's people is those who worship them become like them, like the stiff necks and eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. And they are destined for destruction. And everyone is doing one or the other. Thank God in Christ, he welcomes us to become a worshiper of him, of the one true God. Notice that for these believers, love is there already. The prayer is that it will increase and overflow because Paul is writing to believers. So here's the thing. You might feel like your love is weak. The point is not if it's weak or strong. Every Christian starts off small. Everyone comes to Christ with nothing and completely empty. He's the one that transforms us as a process of sanctifying us, making us like that, making us different, making us like Christ, and uniquely who he has made each one of us to be. But it begins small, and he says, I'm praying that it grows. Now, is there some uh, faith in you that you would like to have strengthened? I'm sure there is. I talk to pastors. I talk to other people. You know, I've not yet met the Christian um, in this world yet that has said, that they are satisfied with their growth, with they are satisfied with their prayer life, or with how they are serving and honoring God. There's room for all of us to grow. And thank God that is his business to make this happen. So the, the main prayer is for an overflowing love. First, he says, he wants them to have a love that is a knowing love. I see this in verse 9. It's a, it's a growing knowledge and discernment. So we say it's a knowing love that they are to have. And he prays for this. A love that is knowing. Knowing what? This knowledge is a word that Paul uses for knowing God in Christ. This beholding, gazing on the beauty of his holiness is what it is. And we all, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3.8, it says this. This is the glowworm thing that I was just talking about. We all, with unveiled faces, he says, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This happens as we come to God and we meet him in his word. God's word and God's spirit as we pray, as we read the scriptures, as the scriptures are taught to us, it changes us. Do you see the word here? It transforms us from one degree of glory to another. We are taking in the wonder of the gospel. We are knowing God in Christ, absorbing the knowledge of God. And it is a love that is discerning. Now, uh, you might have been in a rut spiritually recently. Or you might be on cloud nine. You might be fully alive and feel like you were just walking with the Lord and he's so close. And you can sense him when you pray. Wherever you are, you need these things. I need these things. We need a love that is knowing him and a love that is discerning. Now, what does discernment mean? Okay, with knowledge and discernment. This is, again, the outflow, the overflow of love. This word means having wisdom. Discernment is, first of all, it's knowing right from wrong. 
Okay, we have to know right from wrong. We have to know how to spend our time. We have to know how to speak. We have to know how to choose relationships in our path of life. We have to know when to say yes and when to say no. We need discernment. But it's more than that. It's what the book of Proverbs offers us. It is not just knowing right from wrong what is morally right. That is absolutely necessary. But it's also this. It's knowing the difference between what is good and what is best. It's knowing how to choose the person you'll marry. It's knowing how to sort through a sticky situation when you get into a conflict. It's knowing how to seek reconciliation with a brother or sister whom you have offended or who has offended you. It's knowing what is best and to see the complexities of life and to be able to know the best way. We need this, don't we? Boy, I need this. I need this all the time. And I need God's word and I need his spirit and I need people praying for me to be able to do this. It's how we live, it's how we act, it's how we speak. When you're young, it's very much about choosing your friends. It's very much about choosing what you will do with your time when you have free time. When you're young, it's about how to, how to be holy in a world where the screens are pulling you so strongly and the temptations for different things are, are, are pulling at you, gnawing at you all the time. And then as you grow, it's who you should marry. It's what your career should be. And as you age, should you move careers? How do you raise your children? How do you raise your grandchildren? How can you be fruitful even in old age for the Lord, joyful in the difficult times when there is loss? These are all very important things. And so we need people to pray for us. We need the power of God in our lives, don't we? Because we need his love overflowing in a way that is knowing with all knowledge and discernment. This is a discernment that has a purpose. Look at what it says. It is so that you may be able to approve what is excellent. It's not just bumping along passively through life. Just staying in the lane, doing what other people are doing, going wherever it takes you. This is living your life for what is eternally significant. Friends, I want you to think about this. You only have so many days in this world. You get one shot at this life. What do you want to do with all of your time? What do you want to do with every heartbeat that God gives you? What do you want to do with your energy, with your resources, with your opportunities? There will be a day when Christ returns. And on that day, it will matter so much how you have spent your energy, how you have taken what he has entrusted to you and what you've done with that. So that you may be able to approve what is excellent. Make your life significant in these ways. And... Let's tell each other while we're doing this how we're praying for each other, how we're using our gifts, how, we're, how we want to see that other person get through a hard time or to have success in an endeavor for the Lord. You should uh, see in this the Apostle Paul's pastoral reasons for talking to them about how he prays for them. I tell people that I pray for them because I want them to know. Paul told the Philippians, I'm praying for you. And they needed to know that. I can tell you, it means the world to me when someone comes up to me and they say, hey, Ben, you know, 
How's it going? You're preparing for uh, preaching Zechariah. That's, my, that's the next series we're going to have at Windsor. Um, I really want, I'm going to pray for this. Uh, it's a hard book to get. And I need prayer. Pray for Pastor Bissett. Pray for Laurel. Pray for your elders. Pray for one another. And tell them that you're praying for them. You know what I do on my phone? There's this little app called Reminders. And I can put it on there for daily. I'm praying for a young man named Nate right now. I'm praying for a couple that's trying to get pregnant. I'm praying for someone that just lost his job. I'm praying for a man that's my age and is single and he does not want to be single. And I'm telling them regularly, hey, I prayed for you. How you doing? You know, keep going. And so it means the world to know that someone else is praying for you. And let me tell you a secret. If you want people to pray for you, show up at the prayer meeting. Serious. You show up at the prayer meeting and you say, hey, um, I could use prayer. I've got someone really difficult at my workplace. I just want to know what the Lord wants me to do. I want to be faithful there. And I'd like to see God work there. And then they'll pray for you or whatever your situation is. So first of all, this is an overflowing love that is knowing. Second, it is an overflowing love that is growing. Verse 10. And so, so you will be pure... For the day of Christ. If love abounds more and more in you, you will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. God is working in you to make you what you ought to be. And what you ought to be is like Jesus. Now, He has uniquely made you the way you are. He's given you relationships, He's given you certain limitations and certain strengths. But He wants you with what He has entrusted to you. On that day, to be pure and blameless. Now again, I want to point you back to verse 6 in this passage. Because it's not your power alone that will accomplish this. If you look at chapter 2, it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. But back in verse 6 it says, it's God who is, will carry this on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the apostle says, I'm praying this for you. Do you know that when someone prays for you, it might not be something pleasant. It might be that you get convicted of sin and that you end up needing to confess it. Why? Because God is making you pure. He wants you to get rid of stuff. He wants you to stop hiding sin in the dark and bring it into the light. He wants you to forsake it and confess it and get rid of it. You are God's workmanship. He, brothers and sisters, is making you holy. And this is what we call sanctification. Being actually changed. From being a rebel against God, trapped in sin, in what C.S. Lewis calls the hell of selfishness, into someone that is actually glorifying God. Someone that is marked by joy and life and goodness. Someone who brings life to others. He is making you holy. And this is called sanctification. So this is why Paul, the apostle, tells those Christians to, in the next chapter... Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We need practical direction in how we are to change. That you may be blameless and innocent. The same concepts there. Children of God without blemish. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ... I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is every genuine shepherd's heart 
for the people under his care. Every elder, every pastor, for the church. This is why we don't uh, pursue um, careers in economics or engineering or medicine or law. This is why we come and we, we stand in pulpits and we labor in our, our studies and why we pray and why we go to hospitals. Why? Because we are trying to be God's workmen, laborers in this world for your good so that you can be made what God wants you to be, so that you can be cared for like a flock, so that you can be brought safely into his heavenly kingdom. That is our work. That is our task. Friends, here's your job. Be ready for the day of Christ. That day will come. That day will come and it will be awesome. And that day will come and you will remember days like this. When you thought about your life. When you thought about what am I doing with my time. When you thought about what does the Lord want me to do and how can I serve him and live for him. On that day, every decision that you've made to invest in him. To look forward to things that are eternal to get yourself free of things that won't last, and to invest in what matters, and that is the souls of people for the glory of God, you will be glad about. Now, you might be here this day, and you don't know Christ. You don't know anything about this. Here's the question, and we're going to talk about this in Sunday school a little bit, but here's the question that everybody needs to answer. How could someone who doesn't know God, how can a sinner... And everyone that is outside of Christ is in rebellion against God. How can someone like that, how can a sinner be put right with God? And the answer is this, only in Jesus Christ. He is the only one, he is the only way that we can have reconciliation with God. He did, friend, he did what you could not do, what you could never do. He lived a righteous life. And he pleased the Father as a man. None of us have done that. He did what we could not do. And because he died on that cross, he is the only Savior. Because he does two things when he died on that cross. He went as a perfect spotless lamb as our sacrifice. In other words, he took your sin to that cross and he paid for it. Because every sin must be paid for. God is a God of justice. And he lived a sinful, sinless life so that we sinful people could be made righteous, and he gives his righteousness to us. The blessings that he deserves are given to us freely. This is amazing. This is what we call God's grace. Here's a way to remember grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. He's the only Savior. Now, you might think you have to do something, as if you can pull the right um, lever, and then God will bring you into this. That's not how it works. What God tells us to do is to turn to Christ and trust in something outside of us. The way that we become a believer is by faith. And what is that? That's not a work that you do. You don't flex faith. Faith is when you stop flexing and you say, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. That's enough. And he welcomes me. And I, I'm turning away from rebelling and I'm just trusting in him. That's how a person comes into God's kingdom, through repentance, through faith. It's all one act. What must be done has been done, and it is, has been done apart from your efforts. So your job is to take shelter under him. Repent and believe, and you will be saved.
And you will be ready for the day of Christ. Uh, you um, who do not yet trust Christ, make sure that this is something that you come to grips with. Wrestle with this. Don't let the day end without coming to peace with the Lord in Christ, seeking him through prayer. So our prayer is for love to abound in knowing and in growing, and lastly, for showing. The third thing that we see is that love is showing. Verse 11, fruit to the glory and praise of God. This is the showing. This fruit is what is displayed in this world, and it is for God's glory. The process of this love abounding will result in the glory and praise of God in that verse. When you come to know the beauty and delight of God, your heart longs to know God more and more because there's a sweetness in knowing God. There's a joy. Uh, there, is, there is something where you see, in God I have found all that I need, all that I could want. And you want for God to be known. You want for God to change you and you want to be like him so that others will see and just so that you can enjoy God. This is the, for the glory and praise of God. He made you. God made you so that you can be a beautiful display of his glory. And this comes through your words. This comes through your love, through your acts. This comes in, in how you are generous. This comes in when you're a good listener. God is glorified in these things because you're becoming like Christ in this world. It's so hard to find a good friend in this world. Uh, one of my degrees earlier was counseling, and a friend that was on staff at um, Alistair Beggs Church, he said, you know what, um, same, same kind of field, but he's in ministry doing counseling all the time. He said, 70% of people that come to me for counseling, they just need a friend. They just need someone to talk with them, open the Bible with them, think through their things and pray for them. You can be that. You can show God's love overflowing in your life for his glory. And again, God will make this happen. God will glorify you. Think about this. In Christ, you will become glorious. The word is that you will be glorified. One place where you can read about this is in Romans 8.30. God will glorify everyone who trusts in Christ. And that will display how amazing and powerful and good God is. We are in the process of it now. We're a mixture. We're at the same time sinful and justified. We are at the same time wrestling with sin, trying to put it to death and kill it within us. And we are displaying God's glory as people that have been redeemed and are being changed we're kind of in an in-between place. We are in process. <laughs> Down in Philly, we have a phrase that kind of died, but trust the process. Any basketball fans? <laughs> Romans 8.30 says it this way. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice that it's in the past tense. That is a forceful way for the apostle there in Romans to tell us what God determines to do, it's as good as done. Praise God. Notice in verse 11, 
filled in Philippians 1, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Friends, there is a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. God counts people righteous who trust in the death and resurrection of his son. And he declares us righteous. This is how we are justified. Again, back to that question, how can a person who is a sinner be put right with God? It's through faith. And then he says that this is something that fills us, filled with the fruit, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. First, we are declared righteous. And Jesus' righteousness is actually given to us. It's credited to us. It's like, it's like you're single and you're in debt. And then you marry someone and your spouse is like a Rockefeller. They are incredibly wealthy. When a sinner comes to Christ, the indebted come to the, the overflowing with wealth and we are joined. And whenever you marry that person, all of a sudden your accounts of debt are all paid off. And instead, they are filled to overflowing with the riches of the other. That is what happens when we are justified, when we are made righteous. And this causes a change in us. Do you see verse 11? Filled with the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of this change. Do you know how wonderful it is to be in Christ, to have all your sins removed, to be, to be guaranteed that he will bring you to where you need to be? Brother and sister, you might be struggling with some sin right now. Guess what? It's like you're tethered. It's like in that sin you feel like I'm in a bog, I'm in a swamp, and I can't get out. How am I, wretched man that I am, going to get through this? But in that swamp you have a harness on, and it is anchored to what is future. And in that future you are clean and pure. He will bring to completion what he began in you, and that is your hope. You are anchored, and he will pull you out of it. He will get you through it. This very righteousness produces fruit. While you are in this process, even your repentance is fruit. Even your sorrow for sin, even your wrestling with, uh, with what is right and wrong, even with all of that, God is working. The fruit here is something not that you force to happen, it comes, it's the fruit of righteousness. Of course you cooperate with it, but there's um, the, the analogy by Paul Tripp is that a, a tree, you know, if we had an apple orchard nearby, you wouldn't go to the apple orchard and look at a tree and watch it flex, like make fruit, and the tree goes, fruit, 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 fruit. Okay, and it's the same in your life. You abide in him. You open your scriptures. You come on the Lord's day and hear his word preached. You, you live with God's people. You make rhythms in your life where you're praying, where you're reading the scriptures, and you're learning how to obey. And in that, you're abiding in him, and the fruit comes. And it's his power that makes it grow in a healthy, natural way. Now, I want you to notice one more word here. The word is that it is a passive word, filled. Do you see that? Filled. Not that you fill yourself, you are being filled. That's a passive verb. You are being filled, Christian, with the fruit of God's Spirit. This is not a job for you to force to happen. God is actively working in you. Now again, listen, um, justification is 100% because it's something that depends on what is outside of us. Us being made right with God through faith in Christ. But there is a, a thing that comes and goes your faith, 
Your faith will falter. Your faith can be stronger or it can be weaker. And you need these things to be, to be strengthened. But it doesn't depend on the strength of your faith. All of this, this overflowing love that is knowing, growing, and showing, it depends on someone that is outside of you. It is the object of your faith that matters, not the strength of your faith. We all want strong faith. We should work for it. But the thing that guarantees all of this is Him. It's the Lord Jesus. It's our Savior. So the fruit takes time to grow and give yourself time. Okay, some grow faster than others. But, and take heart. If you know Christ and love Him, if His love is in your heart in the least measure, then you can trust that God is working in you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Clifton Park Community Church, thank you for having me here. We want to look at this church and say, we will pray for love that is overflowing. An overflowing love that is knowing, growing, and showing. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for uh, the, the great privilege of gathering as your people. We thank you for uh, the powerful word of God uh, that you have entrusted to us. And again, just like Pastor Bissett prayed, um, that we can even read it in our own language. What a blessing. What a time. Um, we get to live here in the, these United States where there has been so much peace for our lives. Father, we ask uh, that you will help us to be a people that is overflowing with love. We just, want to be, we just want to be changed in such a way that we know these things and that we are changing and that it is showing for your glory. Help us to shine in this world like, like stars in the darkness in this universe that you have made. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.